Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational argument. With words from Hawthorne, Tatman, Jenkins, Hutchinson, Hirsi Ali and Plumwood. Let's get radical about philosophy. Check this out, man. This This is Izzy Brown from Combat Wombat. 3CR's annual Radiothon is almost here. At 3CR, we're calling to you to activate the airwaves by donating your money from the 1st of June till the 14th to 3CR's annual Radiothon. So keep 3CR active on the airwaves for another year. Any amount you can afford makes a big difference, so donate. Go online to 3cr.org.au or call us on 94198377. Let's do it together and support 3CR, truly independent community radio. Yeah! Hello, I'm Jenna Thompson, and this is 3CR Community Radio on 855 on your dial. And this is Radical Philosophy. That's philosophy for everyone. And I'm speaking to Joan Nessel. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Beth. It's, it's a real privilege and joy to be sharing this with you. Well, you really need no introduction. But, um, I'm sure a lot of people out there listening already know quite a bit about you, but I thought we'd go through a few sort of milestones in your political life. You had been part of a working class butch femme bar culture in New York City since the late 1950s. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, uh, I came out into what we now call public lesbian, I would call it queer life, and the site of this was at Greenwich Village in New York, and I apologize for my American voice and my American-centered and New York-centered histories. I, so when we were looking for places where as we could do simple things like even wear pants, which in the 50s was frowned upon, and, or dance together or being in each other's company, there was one place we all headed to, which was the village, Greenwich Village, in these police mafia-controlled bars. But for us, as I've written, they were theaters, they were sites of introduction to what it meant to be a pariah, uh, the history of exiles and the history of those whose body took them to policed places and there found new wisdoms and new touch. And for me, being a working class girl, Jewish girl from the Bronx, it's, it started my sense that the margins were places of profound intelligence not places of shame or to be to be disavowed and i just in the 50s also so this goes along with it i was starting to get active in i uh, would how can i say more national politics the anti mccarthy period the joseph mccarthy of the 1940s and 50s so during the day and i was uh, going to college at the time 
During the day, I was learning about the courage of dissidents in a larger political setting. And at night, I was learning the courage and the desire of the dissident body. And, you know, I've been thinking so much. No one's ever asked me to talk about my philosophy. That I think it's, it's those two things. And I think it's the body, the, the judged body and the judged politic that form the, my lifeline in a way. Well, you've certainly had a, a very interesting life. Now, after the Stonewall riots in 1969, yes. uh, gay liberation became a focus of your activism. You joined the Lesbian Liberation Committee in 1971 yes. and helped found the Gay Academic Union. Yes. Yes, these were all... I mean, think back now, I'm 75 now, and I think... These were the ways a community, people were emerging and trying to find a place and make a place for themselves in history. But our models were, because was the civil rights movement, the movement of African Americans for justice and equality in their lives, and the movement of women, all of these were happening at the same time. And so it became, it, it, having been in the bars and having watched my comrades being beaten by police, having watched, uh, you know, a, a man come and put his hand between us to make sure our bodies weren't touching, having, having gone through what I call a colonization of our bodies and our imaginations. So the minute it, I started to link up, and everybody around, many around me were linking it up too, which was the civil rights struggles going on all around us in the early 60s in America and then into through the early 70s were as much about being queer people with dignity as all the other liberation struggles. But, you know, Beth, they really couldn't have happened without each other. And that, to me, is another element in how I see what makes sense in life, which is, I guess, how I would define philosophies. Um, oh, my dog is going to play a role in <laughs> which is we're in communities of struggle, communities of resistance, communities of, of desire. And so, yes, all those things happened. I and many other comrades working to bring things into being that didn't exist before. Yeah, you just mentioned before about the African-American civil rights movement. Yes. Uh, how did you become involved with that? Living in New York City... Uh, in the Bronx. I was born in the Bronx, which was at that point a place for Holocaust survivors. It's the first place I saw people with their blue tattoos on their arm. And one of my first bits of wisdom in life was asking my mother what that was and her explanation of it. But we, it was a multicultural society. And my mother, who was uneducated in a formal way, was a supporter of Paul Robeson, an African-American singer and international, he was more than a singer, an African-American cultural figure who was exiled by the American government for being a communist. He was an internationalist. But so I grew up with these ideas of people who, were, who had been accused of being, in a way, enemies of the American way of life. But in my mother's teaching, they were the real heroes. And then early on, my mother, a, a, a woman, Mabel Hampton, who was the first lesbian I ever knew, and 
became part of our lives, and she helped care for me while my mother was at work. And so uh, as soon as I came out, Mabel incorporated me and my partner into her life uh, as an African-American lesbian woman who had come out in the 1920s, living with her partner, um, Lillian Foster, in Harlem. So what I'm trying to say is that you couldn't be a thinking person and and not be aware of the racial differences, the racial inequalities, and the people I went to school with. It was all around us. So when the time when I was had the opportunity, and again, it was I was going to now. These words are different. When I say college, it means these are free universities, and we met their black and white students. I became a member of CORE, the Congress of Racial Equality. I became a member of SNCC, the Student Nonviolent uh, Coordinating Committee, all of these that set up freedom bus rides. And I remember one in Baltimore where the recent, it's a, the history has long connections because all the lunch, the restaurants were segregated, the lunch counters were segregated. So th- th- I was just part of, it was just part of my life and it was part of, the the one thing I wasn't always out as a as a lesbian in those days, or my, because there was in my sense that that would just be too much, one step too far, both for some of my African American comrades, and also because it wasn't the history I was focusing on at that time. Like on the march, I was lucky enough to be chosen to be on the march from Selma. Alabama that has just been a wonderful movie made and its anniversary celebrated and they ask you to fill out cards and they were going to pick and I had on the word on the card that I was a Jew I had that I was a feminist but he didn't have the word lesbian because I felt there was another history it was another history moment but that all changed with the lesbian history archives when I got involved in forming that and I remember we decided we would be in coalitions, this is in 1973, but never as a closeted group. The first formal demonstration, I've been demonstrating, you know, since the 50s, okay, was a Lesbian History Archives banner against apartheid. So that was like, that's when everything came together. It takes a while, it did in my life anyway, for courage uh, to do everything. <laughs> Yes, it must have been incredibly difficult being out in those days. It was. Um, it wasn't for the faint-hearted. I would say, uh, I was really prepared for it. I have to say this because of my childhood, in the sense that my childhood wasn't a typical forties or fifties childhood. I, my father died before I was born. My mother was a working woman. She went to work since she was. 14, and I went to work since I was 13, and my mother was a woman with many lovers. Um, She was an unusual woman for the times, and so she she had been in trouble with the police at times. So I had seen the forces of the state, is how I put it. I have seen the forces of the state, and I was a latchkey child, which meant I wore my key around my neck, and in the 50s, the teachers used to preach against the danger to America of latchkey children. And the reason I say this, I, I sat and I have 
talked about how that key started burning me, like it was such an emblem of shame, as she said, that we were the children that were going to bring down America. But the more this woman talked and the more her ignorance and bigotry came out, the less ashamed I grew, and I took out that key. And what I learned at that moment was that we dictated hatreds are always available. They are now and they were then. And one has to have the strength. Well, then I had the knowledge that she did not know what she was talking about. My mother worked, so we'd have a, a place to live and food to eat. So, no, if this is making sense, Beth, but it was all connected. All of it was connected to refuse dictated hatreds and not to be afraid to stand alone. No, that makes sense. Well, it sounds like you pretty much followed in your mother's footsteps and she was very much a radical in her own way and you've been a radical as well. You know, um, you made, when we were talking about this and I said I wasn't sure if a person can call themselves a radical, that that's like, that's something somebody else has to judge. But we both said we wanted to know what it, what it really meant, and I looked it up. I did my homework. Oh, good, yes. And what's the definition of and a radical? It's really good. It's really because it helps. And I'll, so this was uh, formal. Affecting the fundamental nature of something uh, or calling for an overhauling of an existing regulatory framework. So it seemed to me that... Of all the writers that have influenced me, of all the movements, um, of all the thinkers, that is what is always this, the, the sense that there are no absolute truths in the systems we live with. As long as we, when we see them oppressing one segment of the community or population or the world. So, and I, in, in pulling together what I thought I could talk about, I just I wanted to give an example, if I could. Yes, certainly. Of, so I have certain I have writers here, but it took me back this that to be a radical is to overhaul an existing regulatory framework, which doesn't sound very sexy. But I went back to Sappho, you know, the Greek poet. Yes. Because, and I'm going to read just a, a, a poem in which she does exactly that. Because Sappho, well, I'll read the poem and then we'll see. It's called, To an Army Wife in Sardinia. Some say a cavalry corps, some infantry, some, again, will maintain that the swift oars of our fleet are the finest on dark earth. But I say that whatever one loves is so, Anne Victoria, though you being far away forget us, the dear sound of your footstep and light glancing in your eyes would move me more than glitter of Lydian horse or armored tread of mainland infantry. What Sappho did with this line was totally subvert what poetry had been until this moment. If you think of Homer, it had been the glorification of armed conflict and of nationalisms. And she says in this, and she had to create a new, a new line of poetry called, it's called the lyrical line, it's Sappho's line. Because to talk about what she, she replaced, odes to armies and to heroes with an ode to love. 
so to me, I mean, I, I, I was so grateful that you that preparing for all of this led me back to those words, because something else when we do rethink that which is presented to us as a closed system of what is right or true or even just but the imagination takes life again and and it's all in that but when Sappho said so many years ago but I say and that the ability to say but <laughs> and then find a new way of thinking about things and I think we're in love with the same militarisms today that Sappho's writing about. And the one thing we're finding it very hard to honor is the human body and its need to be cared for. No, that's 100% right. And you're listening to Radical Philosophy on 3CR Community Radio, and I'm speaking to Joan Nessel, who is a real radical. <laughs> <laughs> now, even... You began writing fiction in 1978 and you were a controversial figure during the feminist sex wars of the 1980s. Members of the Women Against Pornography called for censorship of your stories. Yes, yes. This is, I have to say this, one of the dangers of calling oneself radical or is that it can be a self-serving appellate. It can be a self-serving title. And I, uh, because I wrote in a time, now now there's, it's a different time, but in the 60s and 70s and 80s when I was, I was writing lesbian erotic stories, and, most, and I have to say, Beth, that they really weren't fiction. Oh, okay. <laughs> they, were, they were the memoir of my body. Uh-huh. And... Um, and while I knew perhaps more, I knew close up about the victimization of women, the, the violence against women, and I was, and I always, the deepest feminist, because my mother had been beaten by her lovers, um, and I had seen it, and I, but I also knew that without, how can I put it, as a lesbian woman, I'll say, that it was my body that was leading me to new kinds of knowledge and a new... And it was the strength of a woman's desire. Now, we didn't talk about those things too much then because we were all we were trying so desperately. And unfortunately, even... And now it needs the same thing. Women's bodies were in such danger in so many different places and so many different national... National, how can I put it, conversations. And... Yes, so I tried again. I tried to do the but. I tried to say, for instance, I wrote a piece called, and I don't know if this will be censored, but, I mean, not allowed, but my mother liked to beep. That was the most quoted, the most hated, and the most loved part of my work. But one of them. But what I was trying to do was just have also the voice, the voices of desiring women's bodies that touched each other with love, with complexity. What, how this, these works will live, I have no idea. And I, leave, I always wrote with the awareness that it was, I, I never wanted my writing to increase, to increase violence against women. So it was never done without thinking. 
but yes, it was controversial, and it has, and I leave that. There are women to this day who consider me a pornographer, and I, you know, that's what I mean. The titles other people give us, I just have to leave that. I, I hope that that when women find their way to my words, when anybody finds their way to my words, they, if they find something that gives them life in any way, that is all a writer can ask for. And those who find it, you know, repugnant, that's their right as well. Yes, I think there's a lot of people that are just too quick to judge, aren't they? And can even hear things secondhand and make make a judgment on that. But you need to do your own research and make up your own mind on particular things. But now your your life was subject of a 2002 documentary mm. entitled Hand on the Pulse. Yes, yes. I, I was very, very honoured in that. But Joyce, who since has died, who, who made that film, it, it, you know, it, what, it, it was, it was a great, it was a great honour. And she was a wonderful grassroots filmmaker who did, she's a, one of her, Unfinished Films has been finished on Charlotte Bunch, the internationalist feminist, and um, she'd done one on uh, a ground to stand on, on uh, American woman lesbian from the old days as well, the 50s, Blue London, who went on to be part of the women's peace encampments and things. So Joyce Culver, her name is, was, and yes, it was, it was, that's what, I, a great honor to for anyone to sit like you, Beth, like you, asking me questions. These are never things to be taken for granted that someone wants to listen to you. Oh, yes, yes. I, no, I think you're an incredibly interesting person. Now, you're, you're even working on something currently, aren't you? A special issue of Multicultural Lesbian Journal? Ah, uh, Sinister Wisdom, yes. yes. In fact, I, it's finished. It's out now. It's called... Sinister Wisdom is, is one of the longest or just multicultural lesbian journals in the world in, in the United States. And I have a dear friend here, Yasmin Tambayo, who's a Sri Lankan lesbian woman who now lives in um, Sydney. And she and I, for many years, when she was, Yasmin has lived in many places, wanted to do something on the issue of lesbians in home, but nobody was ever interested in it. And then Sinister Wisdom said they had some open issues. And so Yasmin and I came up. We wanted to do an issue on lesbians and exile. And so we did, and it's out now. And um, I know hairs and hyenas have it. And it lets us, what we both were thinking, Yasmin and I, was that in this world, being a lesbian doesn't have, isn't always one's greatest worry. That... In some places, economic disasters, nationalistic, nationalistic division, civil war, as in Sri Lanka, in many places. So we wanted to open up the conversation. And something we haven't talked about, the, the but, the big but for me in this time of my life is, as a Jewish woman, the but to Israel's occupation of Palestine, of the West Bank and Gaza. But more than that, given the latest election, the Israeli government's position on what it would mean, of what it means to be a nation state for a people 
who were made pariahs in history. And so Sinistuism has the voices of Palestinian lesbian women writing about their many exiles. And one of the things we're talking about is that for many, there are many kinds of exiles a person, many women are living with in today's world. So, yes, so that was sinister wisdom. Well, it brings me to my, my final question. Uh, could you tell us about your involvement with the women in black? Ah, yes. Well, the but. It's all, see, I didn't know it would all be about a three-letter word, B-U-T. <laughs> it's when women in black is, has a long tradition, actually, starting in Haifa back in the 1970s, uh, Palestinian and Israeli women standing for peace. And it's an international women's organization. And also in the 80s, my partner and I became friends with, with a Serbian woman peace feminist, Lepa Melechnovic, and, and Women in Black is very strong in Eastern Europe, standing against nationalisms. And then here, when I came here in, I would say, in 2002, looking for a way to raise another voice to the Israel-Palestine conflicts, I found Women in Black, and I found that it had been going on here a long time, from the 1980s. And I became involved with people like Alex and Mog and Sue and Beth. <laughs> and it's it, what seems to me at 75 is there are time. it seems there's always a time to be in the streets as a dissenting voice. And we only do it once a month, uh, the first Saturday of every month from 12 to 1. But being in the streets and seeing both the surprise look on people's faces, seeing the angry look, holding each other, being in a comradeship of women who, are not, who have taken a dissident position, is life-giving to me. And I would suggest when I was thinking of why this could mean something beyond my own voice is that if anybody, young person, hears this, to say, and so many of you know it already, but not even a young person, any person, if something, let's, if something is happening in your society that breaks your heart, join with others and take to the streets in whatever way you can. And taking to the streets, I know, in this day and age, can be to different kinds of streets. They can be digital streets. But don't let your lives end with you as passive witnesses to something that you knew was an atrocity to the human spirit. That's right. That's certainly a very good note to end on. So thank you very much for... Coming on to the program today. Oh, thank you, Beth. Thank you for having me. And I've been speaking to Joan Nessel, basically about her life and what a radical is, the definition of a radical. And that's all we have time for today. We'll just go out with a quote. Our very strength as lesbians lies in the fact that we are outside patriarchy. Our existence challenges 
its life. Charlotte Bunch, Not for Lesbians Only, Quest, 1975. Hope you've enjoyed the show and been given plenty of food for thought. I'm Sue Dodds and you're listening to Radical Philosophy on 3CR Community Radio 855 on your AM dial.